Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Check out the self-pour beer wall at Walters. Walters is located across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard. Walters is your spot for all of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the visiting Dodgers, Dave Roberts will have Mookie Betts lead off in right field. Batting second, Freddie Freeman, the first baseman. Freeman facing the Nationals for the first time as a Dodger. Hitting third, shortstop Trey Turner. Here's the pitch. Swing and a drive to right center field. This is deep. Soto racing back on the run to the warning track near the wall. He leaps, and he can't get it. It's off his glove and rolling along the warning track. Heading home is Bellinger and racing for third with a stand-up triple is Chris Taylor. Dodgers lead 3-0. Soto made a leaping try at the wall. Just couldn't quite come up with it. The 1-1. Swing and a drive. Right center field. This one is way back toward the gap. Is not going to be caught. And it's off the top of the wall. Headed home is Lux. Betts rounding third. He'll hold. The throw into the plate is cut off. Freddie Freeman narrowly misses a three-run homer. He doubles off the top of the right center field wall. And the Dodgers tack on one more and lead 7-0. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, May 24th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it was at Nationals Park on Monday night that the Nats welcome back an old friend. Uh, Shortstop Trey Turner was back. It was last July 30th that the Nats, in the most prominent trade of their mega sell-off, officially Del Trey and Max Scherzer to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And here we are now, just about 10 months since the trade. And the difference between the state of each team really could not be clear. Uh, the Nats have the second worst record in the majors. The Dodgers have the best record in the National League. And all of that was reflected with what happened on Monday night, a 10-1 loss for the Nats to the Dodgers in game one of a three-game series and of a seven-game homestand. Nats this season now 14-29. and 29. Dodgers this season now 28-13. and 13. And Mark, I mean, I had to laugh. This feast or famine Nats offense, we've talked about it so much. We went from this glorious Thanksgiving-like feast on Sunday to basically starvation on Monday night. Man, it's amazing how things are with this Nats offense this season. Right back where we started, Al. It's literally been one step forward, two steps back, because like we said, it's one out of every three games, essentially one game per series. 
they hit really well, and the other two, they do almost nothing. This one was the most nothing performance they've had maybe all year. They literally were having a perfect game thrown against them until the sixth inning, and they weren't facing the Dodgers' ace or their number two or anything like that. They were facing Tyler Anderson, who just watch him pitch. You're not really blown away by anything that he does, but they didn't even come close to putting a guy on base until they finally broke through in the sixth inning. He had them eating out of the palm of his hand, and I agree. It was so striking looking at these two teams in the context of the trade and Trey Turner's return and just looking at how far apart they are and thinking it's only two and a half years ago these two franchises were engaged in an epic playoff series, a truly evenly matched series, and look where we are today. And we don't have to get into the reasons why that is or you know, say who's right or who's wrong, but it is striking to see the difference there. And you can tell for Trey Turner, he's much happier being in the position that he's in right now than he would be if he was still here in this situation. Yeah. I mean, Trey Turner is still set to be a free agent this coming off season, but, you know, as seemingly happens so often with the Dodgers, you go there and you don't want to leave. You know, it's like Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave because it's so compelling. The draw is so strong to be in that organization and that culture with all of the success that that team has had. I do have to say this. I think it's so funny in baseball. So the Nats are doing nothing offensively. Then finally, Cesar Hernandez ends the bid for the perfect game with that one-out double in the bottom of the six. And then all of a sudden, the hit started to come. It's so odd how that can be. Hernandez has the double. Then Alcides Escobar follows right up with a first-pitch single. Then the Nats, in what ended up being, yes, a scoreless bottom of the seventh, had three singles. And then the Nats did get a run in the bottom of the ninth on a two-out double by Nelson Cruz and then an RBI single by Josh Bell. But isn't that strange how in baseball you can do nothing and then one guy does something and then all of a sudden other people start doing something? Well, and it's especially in a game like this, okay, you're having a perfect game thrown against you. And they can say all they want about how they're not paying attention to that. You get to the sixth inning and there's nothing but zeros on the board, you know it. And now you are gripping the bat a little tighter and maybe getting a little bit worried about what might happen. And then as soon as one hit falls, in, especially in a game like this where you're already trailing by, I think, nine runs at that point. Pressure's off now, guys. Just go out and swing away and, and see what you can do. And maybe there was a little bit of that. But I mean, like I said, they had nothing through five innings. He threw 50 pitches, 39 strikes through five perfect innings. And in that time, I think there were only two balls that left their bats at anything higher than 82 miles an hour. So there wasn't even a sharp grounder, a line out, a close call. There was none of that, nothing. They had absolutely nothing going against Tyler Anderson. And it frankly was kind of tough to watch there for a while because, again, if Clayton Kershaw is doing this to you, if Walker Buehler is doing this to you, you kind of do the old tip your cap to the opposing pitcher. Tyler Anderson is not Walker Buehler and he's not Clayton Kershaw, but he sure pitched like them tonight. Yeah, and the Nats will be seeing Walker Buehler on Tuesday night. So David Martinez did again tinker with his lineup for this game on Monday night. Cabo Ruiz was the number two batter for a second straight game. Juan Soto was the number three batter for a second straight game. But as Mark pointed out on the previous installment of the podcast, we did see Lane Thomas in that number one spot on Monday night. You know, Lane was so good in the series at Milwaukee over the weekend. Uh, well, he on Monday night went over four with two strikeouts. Uh, Nelson Cruz was still in that cleanup spot. Josh Bell was in that number five spot. I think it just goes to show you, you can do all you want with the lineup and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But at the end of the day, these guys need to hit, okay? These guys need to be better than they have been and they just have not been very good 
this season. You know, I mean, it's so striking to me. You watch this Dodgers lineup, right? Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, like that's their one, two, three. And up and down the lineup, I mean, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger is the number seven batter in this lineup. That's a lineup. It just it, it just slaps you right in the face, the talent, the depth of a team like the Dodgers. And the Nats just don't have that, especially with their big guns still struggling to varying degrees. Yeah, but you know what the Dodgers did in this game? I mean, they didn't hit a home run. There were some extra bases hits, a good number of doubles and, and even a triple as well. But what struck me most about what they were doing is they kept going the other way. They kept beating the shift. They were hitting hard ground balls where they ain't. And I don't know if that's a reflection of their ability to find the holes and and hit the ball the other way, or if that was Yoan Adone and then Austin Voth after him uh, not hitting their spots and pitching to the shift that they were playing. But that struck me more than anything, how the Dodgers, I'm not going to call it small ball because they were hitting it hard and they were scoring a lot of runs, but they were doing an excellent job of making contact and finding the holes in a way that you look at the Nationals like, can't anybody just do that just somewhere in here? Can't you find a way to do that? And again, it was so striking the difference in some of these professional hitters the Dodgers have and how they approach in that bat versus some of the hitters on the National side who didn't really seem to have an approach against Tyler Anderson tonight. So you mentioned Yoan Adone. Uh, he was an at starting pitcher on Monday night. He was not good. Uh, six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a triple, three doubles, and three singles. He issued four walks. So once again, control was a problem for Adone. He had four strikeouts. He threw 92 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings. I will say this in his defense. The defense behind him wasn't always the best. And boy, we had some adventures for Juan Soto in what ended up being a three-run fourth for the Dodgers on Monday night. Uh, so Adone in that inning gave up a two-out RBI triple to Chris Taylor on a fly ball that went off the right center field scoreboard and then off the glove of a leaping Soto on the right center field warning track. That hit put the Dodgers up 3 nothing. And then not long after that, Adone gave up a two-out first pitch, two-run double to Mookie Betts for a 5 nothing Dodgers lead on another tough defensive play for Soto as he lost the ball in the twilight. Why does this keep happening? Uh, and then failed to make the catch while falling forward. Before we get to Adon, what'd you make of the adventures of Juan Soto in right field in that three-run Dodgers fourth? Soto broke back, found the ball too late, raced in, tried to make the stumbling catch, but it hit off his glove and clanked harmlessly away. It was not good, and it really was not a good night for Soto at all. On a big stage, let's be honest, against the Dodgers, Scott Boris was in the house, sitting in the owner's box right next to the dugout, sitting with Pat Sajak for some reason. I don't know what that connection was all about. You know, this game was nationally televised on MLB Network. There was a chance for Juan Soto to step up and do something, and he really had a rough game at the plate and in the field. Losing the balls, look, we saw it happen on the last homestand as well. It was Victor Robles who officially lost one. But I remember a play in that game that Soto seemed to not see a ball either that wound up going to Robles in center field. I don't know what it is. I don't know why this is happening. I don't remember this over the years being an issue. We've talked about the sun monster before, usually later in the year in day games, is a problem in center and right field. I don't ever remember twilight being an issue. This is not a lights issue because the ball is going high enough that it's above the lights. It's up against the sky. These guys have got to find a way to keep their eye on the ball and prevent these from happening. And it's not like the opposing teams having all kinds of trouble. This is only happening to the Nationals outfielders. And it's just, it's such a bad look when you're playing like this, you're losing games by that much, and you're costing your pitchers with careless mistakes like that. It's a really, really bad look. 
You know, I know the Nats work on stuff. I know that the Nats are not run by incompetent people. Okay, we know enough about Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez to know that they are competent, if not uh, well above competent. But the Nats too often look unprepared. They, They look sloppy. They look like, like you just said, they do things that the other teams don't do. And you're like, why is that? You know, and you know that the Nats work on stuff. It's not like they're not working on stuff, but like, why do guys get keep getting thrown out on the base paths? Like, why does that keep happening? Why does something like guys losing baseballs in the twilight of Washington, D.C. keep happening when that's not happening to other teams? And, you know, that image of Soto on that two run double by Betts where he's falling forward and he's like belly flopping. I mean, Again, that's one of those this week in baseball bloopers. Like that's one of those snapshots of a bad team, you know, in a bad season. And it just, it really strikes you. Again, watching the Nats against this team, the Dodgers, like the Dodgers are what the Nats need to strive to be. And it just feels like the gap between the two teams right now is like the Grand Canyon. I mean, it just feels so wide with these two organizations right now. And that's the thing with the Dodgers. It's not just talent. It's the organization. It's Andrew Friedman. It's Dave Roberts. It's the way the Dodgers draft and develop players. The Dodgers aren't just a function of big money. You know, it's everything. Like, everything the Dodgers do, I feel like the Nats should be looking at and trying to emulate. Yeah. And like I said, two and a half years ago, they were on par with each other and the Nats actually beat them again in a five game series. But that didn't feel like at the time, I know some saw it as an upset, but it didn't feel like there was, this was some kind of colossal taking down of Goliath. They felt like they were on par with them in terms of talent. They are not anywhere close to them right now. And they do have to try to get back there and it could take a while to get back there. But it, it's one thing to be losing games because you have young guys out there, inexperienced, or uh, you know a, a pitcher who's getting hit hard. It's another to lose games in the let's just say it embarrassing fashion that they have been losing way too many games this year. They have lost a ton of these blowout games. They're not losing six to four. They're losing ten to one. They're losing eight to two. There are so many games we've talked about by the third, the fourth inning, you already know what the outcome is going to be. This is happening too much. And I get it. There's a massive talent disparity right now between them and a lot of their opponents. But that doesn't mean you can't play a cleaner brand of baseball and look more respectable. And there have been way too many of these games where they just have not looked respectable at all. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. The Window Nation graduation sale continues. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years. Yes, five years, 60 months, and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. You get two free windows for every two windows that you buy, and you make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal. Save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient Window Nation windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. One ball, one strike, and now the set of the pitch. Swing a ground ball toward the middle and out of the reach of Alcides Escobar. A base hit into left center field. Freddie Freeman comes in to score from third as Lane Thomas gets the ball back into second base. A two-out RBI single for Smith, who's now hit in five straight. His 19th run batted in. It's the Dodgers two and the Nationals nothing. So with Adone on Monday night, it was interesting with him. He gives up two runs in the top of the first, three runs in the top of the fourth, and then a run in the top of the fifth. What happened in the fourth and fifth really stood out. He, in each of those innings, retired the Dodgers' first two batters and then allowed a string of Dodgers to reach base. Adone, in that three-run fourth, retired the Dodgers' first two batters, then allowed four consecutive Dodgers to reach base. Adone, in that one-run fifth, retired the Dodgers' first two batters, but then allowed three straight Dodgers to reach base and then got pulled from the game. Like I said, four more walks for Adone. His walk rate for the season now, 5.88 walks per nine innings. That is just sky high for a pitcher. His ERA over nine starts is at 6.97. As we speak on this Tuesday installment of the podcast, we're getting set to watch Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross on Tuesday night begin their minor league rehab assignments. Look, I know Yohan Adon is young. You want to give a young pitcher time to grow. At the same time, he's not some highly touted prospect. He wasn't supposed to even make the rotation to begin with until Davey Martinez lobbied. And, you know, he did enough in spring training to get that spot. I mean, it, it would seem that Yohan Adon and Aaron Sanchez are the two guys who need to be looking over their shoulders right now in terms of their spots in the rotation. Is that how you see things? Yeah. And, you know, things can change certainly in the next three weeks or whatever it is before they finally have to make those decisions. But, in Sanchez's case, he's a guy who really wasn't on the radar in spring training and wound up getting into the rotation just, you know, as a as a placeholder. Let, let's just call him what he is. Adone, they were very high in him. They didn't have to put him in the opening day rotation. We thought that uh, Josh Rogers was going to make it, and he wound up not making it. And Davey was really pushing for Adone to make it. You can see within these starts the talent that he has. But what you also see is a really raw and inexperienced pitcher. We talked about how little time he was in the minors last year and the meteoric rise up to making his major league debut in game 162. I don't think anybody would look at a demotion of him to AAA at this point as some kind of real indictment of him or as suggesting that he's just not going to make it as a big league starter. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's a matter of There's a lot of work for him still to do. He just needs that time in the lower pressure environment of AAA um, just to learn how to pitch a little bit better. I mean, you're facing the Dodgers. That's a tough lesson right there. That's hard to ask him with his experience level to figure these things out. So you can understand why he would be struggling. Now, I get it. They're in a rebuilding year and you can afford to take some lumps. But I do wonder if there's a point that it's not necessarily benefiting him in the long run to get beat around like this. And if there are specific things he can work on in AAA that would ultimately help prepare him to be a better big league starter. My guess is the time is coming. We're probably not there yet, uh, but we're getting closer to that point. Yeah, it's always tough to say because these are all experiences that he's having and you got to think that he's learning from these experiences. And as we've discussed, within these starts, you are seeing some good things. Like even in this game on Monday night, you go to the top of the second, he does issue a one-out walk, Chris Taylor, but he also strikes out Cody Bellinger, Gavin Lux, and Mookie Betts. And you see something like that and you're like, okay, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, I go back to the outing that he had 
at the Angels a few weeks ago on May 6th, three runs in five innings, but he had six strikeouts. He struck out Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in succession on a combined seven pitches for the final two outs in the bottom of the third with a runner on first. Like you see him do these things and you're like, okay, he's a guy who seems to enjoy the moment. He acts like he belongs, which I know is the kind of thing Mike Rizzo loves. Adone does throw hard. So it's like, I don't know. Do you want to keep him out there? Because come August, you're going to see a different Yohan Adone? Or do you have to say, hey, he's got an ERA around seven. He's walking nearly six guys per nine innings. Send him to AAA and then call him back up later in the season. I don't think that's an easy question to answer. No, and I, I get what you're saying. I think the other thing to consider here is because of the lack of experience, they do have to watch his workload for the season. And late in the year, uh, if they want to make sure that he's still pitching, he could get worn down having not really done a lot of this before. If you send him down, you can control his innings a little bit better and say, hey, you're only going to go four innings this time or we're going to skip you a start or whatever it might be to try to make sure that when you do call him back up later in the summer, he's still got enough left in the tank. So that could be part of the equation as well. It's a tricky thing. And obviously, the situation they are in as an organization gives them the freedom to do this. I think back to when Lucas Giolito was first called up several years back, and there was a lot of hype about him, and he struggled. And he kept getting sent up and down because the team desperately needed to win. They were in a pennant race. They couldn't afford to let him take his lumps. We saw how that all worked out in the end. So... Now that they're in a different position, maybe you can afford just to let a guy take his lumps. But you have to see the signs of progress. I'm not saying we haven't seen any of that, but I'm still watching a guy who has a lot of promise, but I keep thinking to myself, he's barely pitched in the minors, certainly at the upper levels of the minors, and maybe there's something he can get from that better than what he's getting up here right now. Matt's bullpen on Monday night was mixed. Three relievers combined to give up four runs in four and a third innings. We had another rough game for Austin Voth. Three runs in one and a third innings. He got the final out in that Dodgers one-run fifth, but then allowed three runs in the top of the sixth, during which he allowed the Dodgers' first four batters of the inning to reach base. He gave up a leadoff opposite field single to Gavin Lux, uh, issued a six-pitch walk of Mookie Betts, gave up an RBI double to Freddie Freeman and then gave up an opposite field two-run single to, yes, Trey Turner uh, for a 9-0 Dodgers lead. Remember, Austin Voth in that 7-0 loss at the Brewers this past Friday night in the bottom of the eighth, a total disaster. He allowed five runs. He got just one out. I mean, we've talked about Voth before, but the ERA is up to 935. This is becoming untenable. How much longer are they going to go here with this guy? Do you think we're entering uh, DFA territory with Austin Voth? So there was a point there before he got a couple outs when the ERA was actually closer to 10. I want to say it was 997 at one point. 992, sorry. I don't at this point see what is being gained from putting him out there. There are other guys at AAA who have shown something to make you think that they deserve a look. And even beyond that, there are guys in the current bullpen here who seem to have done a little bit more and you would think would be more deserving of some of the spots that Voth is getting. He's still among their leaders in appearances for the season. We talked about this the other day. Let me put it this way. If he had options, he would have been sent down a long time ago. He doesn't have options. That's the reason they don't do it. But time and again, we have seen they don't lose their pitchers like this, especially relievers, they don't lose them to waivers. I don't know who's going to claim Austin Voth and put him on their big league roster right now with an ERA approaching 10. 
So if that's what your fear is, I, I'm not quite getting it. If you deep down believe there's still something there and you can get something out of him, okay. But my guess is you can make that happen, keeping him in the organization and getting him through waivers and sending him to AAA. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot to be gained from consistently putting him out there in these big league games because we see that for every one or two good quality outings by him, there are an equal number, if not more, of just blow-up outings. It's it's not like he has one of those, oh, he puts a couple guys on base, he gets out of it, or he gives up one run. No, when he doesn't have it, when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. The results are ugly. He doesn't give them multiple innings, which is, in theory, what he's supposed to be doing. I'm not really seeing at this point what he or they are getting out of continuing to put him out there in spots like this. Yeah. I mean, for years, we've had the three-headed monster of Austin Voth, Joe Ross, and Eric Fetty. And you just feel like at this point, you know what these guys are. Now, at least with Fetty, you can get mileage out of him as a starter. Joe Ross has barely pitched the last few years. We'll see what he ends up being as he begins this minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday night. But with Voth, I mean, these results are really bad. And put somebody else out there. Like, I don't think you have to worry about him blossoming with another team at this point. You know, by now, we all thought that Tyler Clippard would be up at the major league level. As I check out his stats for AAA Rochester this season, uh, 18 games, ERA now at 338. Uh, he's averaging more than a strikeout per inning. So the numbers have improved you know, we're about two months into the season. Are we going to see Tyler Clippard pitch for the Nats at the major league level? It's a little surprising to me. I understood why he didn't come up as soon as we initially thought, but it seems like he has made some strides. They have a couple other guys down there, Jordan Weems and Reed Garrett, who have pitched exceptionally well for them. None of these guys are on the 40-man roster, so you have to clear a spot for them. But as we just said, you know, there are opportunities to move some people off the 40-man roster. You know, maybe they're also thinking ahead for the guys coming off the IL, all the guys in the 60-day IL. Those are roster spots that have to be cleared, so maybe they're waiting for that to happen. But why did you sign Tyler Clippard if not to ultimately uh, see what he can do for you in the big leagues? And I don't know. Maybe the time is coming. Maybe it's not. I just I feel like we're in this period right now where – you would think there'd be a lot more roster moves than there have been. There have been very few, especially very few moves made for baseball reasons. For the most part, the moves they've made have been injury-related. There have been only a couple of baseball-related transactions so far this year. I'm not entirely sure why that's the case. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I've never been underneath over here so i don't know what anything's like so it's kind of my first time over here you know it's funny walking by the the clubhouse on that side uh getting off the bus and walking right by but uh, a lot of familiar familiar faces over there a chance to see some guys feels good um say hi again see how their family's doing what what they're up to but it definitely feels different but it feels good to be over here and uh contributing to this team and uh, feeling in a good spot well, a big transaction last summer was the trading away of Trey Turner. I know that he spoke to you guys before the game on Monday. Uh, what stood out to you in terms of what Trey had to say? Well, I think like we've seen with the others who've come back, and it feels like this has just been a reunion tour this year with everybody that we've had, they kind of all say similar things. It's very strange when they walk into the park the first time. They expect to go to the right and go to the Nats clubhouse. They instead turn left, go to the visitors clubhouse. They realize they've never been over there before. You know, they all have good things to say about their time here and all the memories from 2019, but they're happy where they are now. They get their tribute video. The crowd, not always as big as people would hope it would be, gives them a nice ovation. Then they take the field and they play and they usually beat up on their old team. It feels like this has been happening a lot. You know, I think Trey is very comfortable with where he is right now. Who wouldn't be in the dying situation with the Dodgers? The difference in his case is he's now a free agent after this year, as opposed to Max Scherzer, Anthony Rendon, guys who've already signed with their new team. So I do think that's a little different dynamic. Uh, and he doesn't really know what to expect uh, this winter, where he's going to end up. I'm sure the Dodgers are going to put the full court press on him and try to keep him long term. Because, I mean, think about this. As star started a lineup as you find in the big leagues, He's hitting third for them. And I know you think second is bigger than third, and maybe it is. But if you got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and you're hitting behind them, they're one, two, and you're hitting three, that tells you how good of a player and hitter Trey Turner is. He is a complete ball player. And even on a star-laden Dodgers team, he stands out as one of the very best. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So a few things. Number one, just for people who get caught up in the lineup stuff and think that you know Juan Soto should be batting third, the Dodgers lineup on Monday night, Mookie Betts one, Freddie Freeman two, Trey Turner three. So, you know, the next time you're worried about Juan Soto's tummy hurting because he's hitting second and not third, just remember what the Dodgers lineup looks like. And oh, by the way, Mookie Betts bats first. You know, you're allowed to put a great hitter in the number one spot. It doesn't have to be a Cesar Hernandez type, okay? You can put your best hitter in that number one spot. I mean, I don't think it'd be sacrilege to say maybe Juan Soto should bat first just to see what happens, you know? But I know that that's probably not going to happen. But boy, that stood out on Monday night. Betts, Freeman, Turner. That's how the Dodgers do things. 
to me, it's like, do what the Dodgers do, whatever they do. If they're walking around in a clown suit, you do what the Dodgers do. But, you know, Mark, I was thinking about the conversations we had last summer. Everyone knew the Nats needed to trade Max Scherzer, right? He was going to be a free agent. That was obvious. The Trey Turner thing was the more controversial thing because he had a year left of team control. I look back on it and I at the time was fine with it. I'm even more fine with it now because you think about where the Nats are right now. They're so bad. The Nats were bad last season with Trey Turner. They were going nowhere with him last season. They would be going nowhere with him this season. So unless you think that the Nats in trading Trey on his own could have gotten back more in total than they got back with Trey and Max as a package deal. I think trading him last year does turn out to be the right way to go. Now, we'll see what ends up happening with Caber Ruiz and Josiah Gray and those other two prospects. But if you're looking for something to feel good about as a Nats fan uh, right now, I, I think in hindsight, the right move was made in trading Trey Turner last summer. Unless you felt like they were in a position to lock him up then and keep him long term. And he had always expressed some interest in wanting to stay here, maybe in a way that others had not. But by the same token, we didn't ever really get the impression that the Nationals thought that he they were going to spend on him what he thinks he's going to get as a free agent. We just talked about what a great hitter he has become, an all-around hitter. In some ways, that may have hurt the chances of him ever staying here long-term. If you get him right at the end of 19 and what he did for the World Series team, you might have a shot. But what he did in 20 and then the first half of 21 before the trade, it elevated him to that category of he's not just a great leadoff hitter, but he's just a great offensive player in general and, you know, throwing the defense too. And in a way, I think that made it even harder for the Nationals to contemplate the idea of, are we really going to spend $300 million, whatever it costs, to re-sign him long-term? So you combine that with, as we talked about last summer, all the other things that went wrong last July that left you realizing that not only were they not going to win in 2021, but they weren't going to win in 2022 either, as we've seen that bear out. And that's why I thought it made sense to go ahead and, and make that move at the time. If you thought, okay, we're going to trade away our rental players, the guys who are going to be free agents in contract years, and then try to restock the next year and go for it again in 2022, then you keep Trey Turner. But it became clear they were not in a good position to try to do that again. They needed, If they were going to do this, they had to go all the way and tear it down. And you don't get Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray if you're only trading Max Scherzer. It required Trey Turner being in that deal as well to get those two guys. It doesn't mean those two are equal to Max and Trey in the long run, but we like to think, oh, you've got these great players you can trade away. You're going to get you know a, a bunch of prospects for them. Teams have gotten a lot smarter and more reluctant to give up elite top prospects. It took both Scherzer and Turner to get Ruiz and Gray in that trade. Yeah. And two other things with Trey Turner. So next year will be his age 30 season. You know, you're teetering this line with him of paying him in his 30s for what he's done in his 20s. And maybe he ends up being great for another five, six years. But then again, maybe not. And the history of big money contracts screams, you don't pay a guy in his 30s for what he did in his 20s. So if you say to yourself, we got a lot of good out of Trey Turner, let somebody else pay him 300 plus million dollars. I don't think that's a bad way of looking at things. I also would point out that The real blossoming of Trey Turner didn't really happen until 2020. He was good prior to that. He really has exploded over these last few years. So this thing of like, well, they should have locked him up years ago. 
okay, that's not an unreasonable thing to say, but he wasn't the player he is now in, say, 2017, 2018. And keep this in mind, too. You know, it got a little testy between Trey and the Nats after the Nats traded Trey. Uh, He gave these quotes last summer. I said I would talk about an extension whenever and waited for that to happen, and it didn't happen. So I've been told a lot of things over the last two years. And for me, actions speak louder than words. So, you know, I, I know that on Monday, he didn't have any ill will toward the Nats, nor should he. He's doing just fine right now. But I think that's worth pointing out as well, that maybe he, he didn't feel like the Nats tried hard enough to try to lock him up, which I don't think would shock people. But uh, I think that's kind of a, an interesting part of this dynamic. It's tough, man. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, you see him and you see him do well and you know that he was here and you're like, why can't that still be the case? But obviously it's not as simple as that. And just to make one other comparison here, you talk about what is he going to be, what kind of contract he's going to get and what kind of player will he be in his 30s. The comparison that a lot of people were making even a couple of years ago, and this was also coming from his agency, was Francisco Lindor. And they said, look at Trey versus Lindor. They're pretty similar. Look at the contract Lindor got from the Mets, which was huge. Well, how has that worked out so far? Lindor, in parts of two seasons with the Mets, has a 731 OPS down 100 points from what it was in Cleveland. And he's still only 28 going on 29. You know, Trey Turner's his own guy. Who knows what he's going to be in the long run? But it would not be shocking if he doesn't sustain this kind of production throughout the rest of his career. And so that's why there is a risk to it. And I agree. If there was a way to go back in time and try to get him in 19 to lock up, you would have gotten him for a much lower price because that's when he just was like this really fast, really good leadoff hitter. And it wasn't until after the World Series, the next two seasons, that he turned into this like potential number three hitter who could do it all. And all that did was jack up the price to a, a point that the Nationals just felt like, We can't justify spending this on him. I think the frustrating thing for everyone, big picture here, because we've now seen it with Harper and Rendon and Turner, they keep losing these guys. And at some point, you just want them to say, hey, we're going to lock up one of them. okay?" and that one, most would say, should be Juan Soto because he fits a little different category than the rest of them. We've got a long time till we're going to know how this is going to work out. The signs haven't been great recently in terms of what the chances are of doing that, certainly anytime soon. If they did ultimately somehow lock up Juan Soto long term, I think it helps soften the blow of losing the other guys to those kind of contracts. Yeah, I I still would say this too. Go back and look at the big time players who the Nats have not locked up and ask yourself, do you wish that the Nats had locked that guy up? Do you wish that they had kept Jordan Zimmerman? No, you don't. Do you wish that they had kept Tanner Roark? No, you don't. Do you wish that they had kept Bryce Harper? Maybe now, although at the time, nobody was yelling and screaming for them to re-sign him. Uh, I think Anthony Rendon's a big question mark. We'll see. Trey Turner's a question mark. We'll see. Ultimately, this comes down to what you and I have discussed so much, which is the farm system. And, you know, it's so funny how things play out. MLB Pipeline on Monday, as the Nats were beginning this series against the Dodgers, came out with its newest top 100 prospects rankings, right? So here you have the Dodgers. They've been great for years now. They're never picking in the top five, right? They made this trade last summer. They traded away two of their top prospects to the Nats in Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz. The Nats in these latest top 100 prospect rankings have two guys, uh, Brady House, number 44, Cade Cavalli, number 50. The Dodgers have six guys. The, The rich are getting richer. The Dodgers have six of the top 100 prospects in baseball. That's how you do it. 
And that's why they're so good. Yes, they spend a lot of money. Yes, there's a lot going for them in terms of culture and history, but drafting and player development, that's where the Nats went wrong. That's where the Dodgers have gone right. And that's the thing to look at. The low-hanging fruit is trading away Trey Turner and Juan Soto. And I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, but man, you've got to get back to having a great farm system. And this excuse that I know the Nats sometimes give of, well, we know we weren't picking in the top 10 for all those years and we were good. (laughs) That's not an excuse, Pally. That's not an excuse. The Dodgers have six of the top 100 prospects in baseball right now. And as you point out, they're always picking in the late first round and not even, it doesn't have to be the first round. It can be the second round, the third round, the fourth round. As we've said, the Dodgers and the Cardinals are the prime examples of how you win year in, year out over a long stretch of time. And it's not like that roster stays exactly intact. They're constantly supplementing it with new players from their own system. Even look at the Dodgers lineup on Monday night, who they have in there. Will Smith, homegrown. Cody Bellinger, homegrown. Gavin Lux, homegrown. We're going to see Walker Bueller on Tuesday, homegrown. They have a way of doing that. Yes, they've got more money than anybody else, and they can go sign Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts to major deals, but they also then can use their prospects they have to make a trade like for Trey Turner. And this is something that the Nats also try to say that, well, you know, we traded away a lot of our guys. Eh, Lucas Giolito, yes, but at the time his stock was down. Jesus Luzardo has not turned out to be much of anything. So it's not quite as much as that is made out to be. Go back and look at their draft history since about 2013-14. You will not find a lot of guys in there who have become even moderately decent big leaguers. And I'm not just talking about not doing it for the Nationals, but there haven't been a lot of them who've done it for anybody in in the big leagues. Yeah. And the trading away of prospects thing, to me, that is such fake news. Lucas Giolito was traded in December 2016 in the Adam Eaton trade. Even if you want to say that that was a big thing, that was December 2016. It's 2022. You've had ample time to quote unquote recover from trading away Lucas Giolito. Lazardo was in 2017 when they got Doolittle and Madsen, right, from Oakland. Like, again, Five years ago, like you've had plenty of time to recover from that. I, I can't, I can't stand when people say that. I'm like, look at a time, look at a calendar. All right, it's been years since those trades were made. Well, look, uh, hang in there. We know with these these conversations that we think are necessary, and you know it's hard not to have them seeing with what's happening with the Nats right now. But you tell us what you think. We're always interested in your thoughts, your opinions. We get so many great uh, tweets and emails from you guys. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shovers again. The address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you're headed out to Nationals Park this week to watch Nats Dodgers, maybe hang out with Scott Boris and Pat Sajak, you can wear a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. You can get one by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The 2-2 pitch to Turner is launched to left center field. This one is well hit. It's way back there. It may go, and it is gone. Into the Brewers' bullpen. On the right side corner, the Nationals are on the board. It's Trey Turner's first career postseason homer. Milwaukee 3, the Nationals 1. Fireworks go off. This crowd has something to cheer as Turner pulls him a little closer. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.